listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. This week is a really cool episode. My good friend Evan Patterson of the band JJL joins us. I've known Evan as well as his brother Ryan, who's also been on this show, uh, for over 20 years. And I've been clocking his creative development for that entire time. He's played in a bunch of really cool bands, uh, going all the way back to the late 90s with National Acrobat, uh, Breather Resist, Young Widows, and JJL is like his most recent creative endeavor. Evan and I spoke on the day that their brand new record, Prison, was released. Now, as you all know, this show gets recorded and a couple weeks later it comes out. So this record is now available for everyone to check out. I've been looking forward to this for a while, ever since we were able to book it. Uh, you and I have been friends for over 20 years. Isn't that crazy? I know. I was thinking about when Stephanie wrote me, I, was, I thought, like, I remember meeting you at Phil Stossberg's house. Yeah, that was a uh, long time ago, man. It's, it seems yeah. like yesterday, but it, when you think about how long ago that was and the passage of time, it kind of trips you out, you know? I'm pretty sure I was 17, so yeah, <laughs> over 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah, man, we're not getting any younger, that's for sure. No, <laughs> every second. What's uh, another interesting synchronicity is I believe today is the day that the new record comes out, isn't it? It is. I, I almost, honestly, I almost forgot I was doing this, and you text me, and I happened to be like free of all the things I was doing, and. It made sense and worked. So yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Uh, now, in light of the current state of affairs uh, worldwide, how has that affected uh, your your plans to go out and support this thing? Are you guys planning any kind of um, non touring sort of activity to help promote the record? You know, it was it was kind of odd when at the beginning of the year, kind of towards the end of last year, because I. I played like over 200 shows last year between Young Widows, JJL, and Emma, Ruth Rundle Band. And I kind of hit this place where I was like, I just don't want to go on tour. I want to say no to all tours until this record came out. And, you know, and then early on in the year, this the pandemic happened and it was kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not touring even after the record comes out. You know, it's just, you know, it, it, there was a European tour that was going to be booked in November and then it got pushed to February and now it's being pushed to May. I mean, who really knows if that will happen? Yeah, I'd like to think that by then uh, we, we would have reached some kind of equilibrium or we're at least improving by, by that point. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't. I don't even know. It's like, if I was Europe, I still wouldn't want us to come over there. That's true, <laughs> actually. A, yeah. As as a you know, I mean, as we'll see how things pan out with like other politics, but it's like, even beyond the pandemic, it's like, how more idiotic can our country look and be? So. <laughs> <laughs> We'll yeah. yeah, I remember being over there during the Bush years and uh, even then being very, you know, the Europeans being very critical, uh, yeah. you know, kind of confronting you about uh, George W. Bush. So Trump is definitely not uh, that that's an even more extreme extremity that our country has gone to. And um, their backlash, of course, is uh, equal to that extremity, you know. Absolutely. I mean. I feel like now when I go over there, it's, of course, amongst people in our culture, they don't talk about Trump, but the civilians who are like, you know, they're American, you know, just like the random people will be like, what do you think about your president? And it's, you know, it's such a funny thing for, you know, just like the average person and you're meeting American that's what they kind of think to ask you about but then anyone in our culture like the underground music culture just clearly knows anyone that's over there is against Trump and you know everything going on in the country yeah yeah for sure um 
one of the interesting things is that I've no, like since I've known you for so long, I've seen your trajectory as an artist over over two decades. And uh, when, when you and I met, you were in this band called National Acrobat. And then, uh, you know, of course, there was uh, Black Cross. Uh, there was Breathe the Resist. Uh, then Breathe the Resist evolved into Young Widows. And with each one of these uh, changes of the guard, um, there was like a creative step forward, I, fe I felt like, and um, a broadening of the types of things that you're trying to do with your music. And the biggest kind of um, evolution, I feel like, is with JJL. But that, that sort of is going on concurrently with Young Widows. Is that true? Um, I mean, at this point, it's been five years since Young Widows has made an album. You know, we, we put out a collection three years ago. But I mean, we haven't been able to really do much beyond rehearse when we have a show or tour coming up. And I mean, there's, there's been little to no act. There's been absolutely no activity this year. And there was not much activity after our European tour last year, which was our, you know, first time going to Europe in 10 years due to, you know, Nick, the bass player of Young Widows, started a family and that slowed things down. And then Jeremy, the drummer has a huge family, you know, has three kids now. So it's, it's, it's difficult just to get the gears working to have the time and space to create new music. Yeah. That, that stuff definitely takes a lot of time and, and intention, you know, to keep all that stuff going. Yeah. And then, uh, so JJL, you know, it's kind of been a thing where I've been bouncing back between the two bands since it started. And Young Widows was, you know, kind of once Nick was had his had his kid, JJL started around that same time. And that was kind of due to me, you know, not having a family and not much of my life changing and in, in my desire to keep making music and performing it, it i feel like it somewhat attributes to that but i mean honestly i had no idea what i was doing when i started making the music for jjl it was just like a toss in the wind almost you know it was just like well here are these songs and i'm in santa fe new mexico and i just wrote a bunch of songs kind of effortlessly and thoughtlessly and and then next thing you know, I had an album and next thing you know, I recorded a bunch of 45 singles. And then, you know, some friends in town that I was making music with wanted to do the band with me. And then, you know, it's funny how just one thing kind of led to another and the motivation to turn what, you know, what once was a project into, you know, like kind of my solo project solo career with music i mean it's it's been interesting even for me to see the way it, it's growing and morphing into something bigger and more with every record and every time i make new music one, one of the common denominators i think between this you know the jjl era and all the previous eras is uh your your ability to work with not not only just playing guitar but also sound and like textures and things like that and that's something like i picked up on as being an interest of yours way back like even in the breather resist days you're always very interested in, in creating texture as well as playing guitar absolutely um, yeah so how have you expanded that in jjl i mean you're, you're doing more than just playing guitar in that band yeah i mean it's it's funny the the, the first JJL 45s, I was strictly playing acoustic guitar and singing. And I, I mean, I also ended up playing some drums and some other percussion, but I had a friend playing synthesizer on it because we were both kind of started to obsess about Tangerine Dream in particular. And, you know, their early records and their scores. And, you know, and so that was the thing we've, like, well, what if we did this kind of simple, repetitive 
you know, blues folk music, but then added this wild atmospheric synth score kind of world to the to the sound and and I mean honestly I don't really know why I hadn't picked up a synthesizer before this time. I the one that I still play now and tour with and have used on all the recordings I've had since Breather Resist days. But it was it was kind of a thing that just sat next to my amps and our space and was was broken. I couldn't get it to come on. <laughs> so, so once I got it, I I finally found someone in town that could fix it. And you know it's it's a seventies. It's called a, a a mini a micro no mini chord K two Univox mini chord K two and it's actually a really sought after synthesizer. And once I got it, that thing working, it was just like, you know, the the options and the interest to, to use that and to play guitar. And, you know, some of the things I was trying to do with effects pedals, I didn't have to, like, you know, use an effects pedal to try to get the sound that I could get with this other machine. And, you know, it was just it was a very you know, natural progression just to go from, you know, playing guitar to also playing synthesizer. It was, it was almost like instead of working so hard to try to find these wild sounds that I can make while playing guitar, it was like I can just actually hit one note on the synthesizer and change the filter and effect on that synthesizer and get the exact sound that I've been looking for. So, yeah, you know, and, sorry, go ahead. And yeah, no, and with Breather Resist, it was always a thing of like discovering like the ping pong delay and the DL4 guitar pedal and like just, you know, using that as much as I can possibly figure out how to make my guitar signal as wide and bizarre as possible at times. And, you know, it, it all just kind of plays into using technology to a degree like you know analog technology uh you know just to create sounds i haven't heard before yeah that's the beauty of the synthesizer and uh you know like us us guitar players uh are sometimes reluctant to experiment with that stuff uh but the coolest thing about it and i mean it helps to know how to it helps to know your way around a keyboard um, it does, i.e., I. like knowing how to play piano or something like that. But that knowledge isn't necessarily required to do really cool stuff with a synthesizer, you know? Yeah, I mean that's kind of the beauty in the synthesizer that I have is because it's monophonic. So I mean, I don't, I don't need to have the chords memorized to play piano. I don't need to have that knowledge on this instrument because it's not possible. So it, it makes it, it makes it just feel like, well, I can literally use one finger and play this instrument as anyone would play it, even someone who's a trained piano player. You know, it's if you can only do one note at a time, it, it makes it way less complex and more enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned the the idea of this kind of score vibe and i pick up on that in the music in the music of jjl like all the you know from the even the acoustic stuff from the beginning almost has like mm -hmm. a uh, soundtrack like film score um vibe you know that would be at home in in like a you know maybe like a sergio leone film or like Dead, yeah Dead. i mean yeah i was i was out in santa fe new mexico when i was writing those songs and you know i was kind of got became like obsessed with researching all the you know all the the film sets and like the old you know the western towns that were in all of these movies and there were a lot of them around that area and i would try to hunt them down and some of them were very difficult to hunt down to even get a tour of and so at the same time i was going to these sets and then i was also watching these films and, you know, once upon a time in the West, 
you know, really hit me then. Like, and not just in like the film, but listening to the music and the score. And then I started digging more into Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone. And, and then, you know, just discovering like, okay, the, the score for death rides a horse is like out there, you know, it's, it's such an experience. It's like, it's world music and it's, it's not just like this cowboy bullshit, you know, it's, it's like actually like incorporating like choir and like, primitive drumming and having this like fuzzed out rock and roll guitar sounds and tremolo sounds and blues. It was, you know, it was kind of a, a big door opening moment to, to focus on the sounds of film scores rather than, you know, songwriting for a band, you know, like thinking about a piece rather than being like having a, a you know, at, a narrative and a and a voice of its own without even words you know just as as a as a score it's it's like it's changed my perspective on writing music yeah that's it's it's cool that you referenced that film because that's like one of my favorite film scores out of all those westerns uh oh yeah yeah that theme in the beginning and i mean there's like there isn't even any dialogue for like it feels like it feels like uh like ten minutes go by before there's any even dialogue spoken in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I, I, for some, I was out there and I had like my partner that I was with had like a box set of that film and it had all these bonus, you know, DVDs of the making and you know, just it all just kind of right place at right time and and being in the desert and. You know, I, I kind of uh, kind of became a part of of my artistic outlet is like this whole idea of creating a score out of making music. Yeah, it definitely comes across. And then even more so later on, uh, when you start building on those ideas, and you start adding more layers of sound and different instruments and members to your to the band. Um, it just builds this very atmospheric, uh, you know, very, very filmic, you know, score-like, that kind of, all those things come to mind when I listen to the music. And especially um, there's that brand, the brand new video that, that just came out recently. Um, and that song particularly, it almost has this kind of like uh, Leonard Cohen, uh, you know, narration sort of aspect to it, which I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that... That song, whenever we were making the record, it's just like that song just reminded me of, you know, watching, uh, uh, I'm at a loss of words, watching the uh, Terrence Malick film, the classic Badlands, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like watching Badlands and, and just kind of being in that area of the country and like kind of how depressing it is and, and strange. And, you know, we were driving through Kansas at that time and it just, it just made sense to make music that brought out those same ideas that, you know, kind of, kind of lifting and like my influence from films. Speaking of films, how did you come to work with Dean Hurley? Um, Dean Hurley, I was, I first heard the David Lynch record, The Big Dream. I was on tour, I think I was in Cleveland, and I was staying with someone, uh, and it was like, I think it was the guy who owned Beachland Ballroom, and the, um, we were staying at his, his apartment or something, and uh, he was playing that record, and I'd heard some David Lynch recordings before then, and they hadn't really clicked. And immediately when I heard that record, it was just like, you know, it, it reminded me of like Talk Talk or Four Carnation or, you know, Massive Attack and Portishead and with his, you know, strange alien narrative. And 
I became very obsessed with that record to the point where, you know, I, I purchased it and I was just looking at the credits and saw, okay, Dean Hurley co-wrote this record and recorded it. And I just started re- researching him and, you know, fell upon his website and, and wrote him an email. And, you know, I just simply said, hey, I'm making this record. I, I don't have anyone's funding it. I don't have a lot of money. This is before Sergeant House was putting out our records. And Sandy. Sorry. No, it's Sandy. all good, man. No problem. And, uh, so this is before Sergeant House is putting out our records and I, you know, didn't have a budget and he's like, well, send me the songs, you know, I'd love to hear it. And I sent it to him and he said, you know, I, I really, I really enjoy this kind of blues dirge thing you're doing. And, you know, how about this price something, a very affordable price. And, you know, he mixed two songs one song actually that ended up being on House Cricks, the first album, and I was just kind of floored by his mix. And you know, from there, I was like, I just knew I, I had to work with him on the next record. But it was that was like the tricky part is. So I'm building up to trying to get him to come record the record, and he becomes very busy with making the new Twin Peaks. series yeah and and we've recorded the record and you know he's still in the middle of doing the twin Peaks series and he's been working with david lynch since inland empire and i mean it takes him because he's so busy recorded in may and he didn't even get to a break to finish mixing the record i mean he would mix a song a month almost is what he kind of allotted himself the time to, to work with us. And so we didn't have a finished record until January of the next year. So, I mean, you know, it's absolutely understandable that he would, uh, pick David working with David Lynch over working with me, but <laughs> it, it took a long time to, to get the record. And, and honestly, I mean, I, it's, I think e- Dean's ears and what, what Dean brings out in music and his choices for mixing and his interest in sound design is, I, I relate to, to what he does with, with that more than, more than most producers that I, that I know of. Yeah. I mean, that's like kind of like a big part of, the experience of watching a David Lynch film is the sound design and the selection of music for the, for the, um, you know, for the soundtrack, like uh, even the even curating the actual soundtrack and then composing the score. That's like a huge part of, of, uh, you know, David Lynch. And especially with uh, that, that last Twin Peaks uh, season, you know, there was such great, great music on there. It was almost like, like watching that, it almost felt like you were watching this like variety show. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where there's like, yeah, there's like this, you know, picture play going on for the first hour or fifty minutes or whatever, and then like the last bit is like, and now in our live in our studio we have the chromatics or whatever. You know and exactly. Yeah, I mean it was funny when um, I met Dean for the first time. JJL was on tour with uh, Freakwater, and we were in L.A. playing the Echo and. I met Dean and he, you know, I was asking what was going on and he was like, well, we're setting up for, you know, all the roadhouse performances. And he's like, man, I should have asked you all if you wanted to do one oh, while man. you're here. Dude. And I, and I just kind of, I laughed and just said, <laughs> you can't, you can't say that to me. You know, I was like, I'll cancel the tour. Can we, I mean, I'll, I will stay here and, and do that if that's an option. He's like, yeah, maybe that couldn't work. I don't know. <laughs> You know, it was one of those moments where I was like, I just wish he didn't say that. So, I've, I've been in moments in my life like that, too, where it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe you should have thought of this two months ago, <laughs> you know. 
I'm like, you can say that now. If you if you say we can be in Twin Peaks today, right now, I will cancel this tour and stay here. <laughs> I don't care if it takes a month to happen, but yeah. Did uh, so did you was, enjoy uh, that season? Yeah, it was great, man. I mean, it's 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 wildly different, but I think the payoff is well worth it. And, you know, I, I don't want to. You know, I, I don't. I, I tend to not talk about tv shows too much because i feel like that's like a big topic of subject in the world but it, it was great it was you know i'm yeah. ready for another uh, david lynch film though yeah i mean david lynch true it was on television but he's unlike any other person making tv shows so i feel like he gets a pass but uh but yeah I, I really enjoyed it um if anyone thought that it was going to just be this like continuation and not some wild departure then the jokes on them because I, mean, I don't think david yeah. lynch would ever do something like that so yeah i mean and, and honest to be honest the twin peaks original series it's not my favorite david lynch pieces you know i mean yeah you know his his, his films are so focused and you know i even i personally enjoy fire walk with me like the film more than I do the, the entire series. I could dig that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mulholland Drive and probably Lost Highway are my two favorites by him, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Blue Velvet's pretty... I mean, you know, I can you go, can go on. on. Like, <laughs> you can, you can just like name even, all of his films and say they're all your favorites. That's exactly. Kind of I, I mean, it, you know, you know there's, there's a wild night when I was younger and my brother, who you're also good friends with Ryan. He had moved to Louisville. He was 18 and there was a cult film section and a, and a video rental store. And I remember we rented, it was naked lunch, um, a racer head and Brazil. And I was 14. I came up to Louisville to stay at his apartment with him. And I remember him passing out, but I was just like, my mind was blown and I'd like set and like watched all three of these films. And I, I'm pretty certain I was a, a different person after that night. Sure. You know, like, definitely, it was, it, you know, it's just like, it's, it's kind of wild. The impact that, that, you know, these heavy art films have, especially on a young mind, on any mind at all. I mean, it's, it's such a huge influence and in like, art and culture and you know it's i true you know i i i always think about that night and i'm pretty sure if you talked to me like before those six hours of watching those films I, I would probably have a lot different perspective on life yeah especially those those are all powerful movies man and, and um brazil is uh you know it's a masterpiece but it's uh, yeah the ending is like one of the heaviest endings in any film i feel um it's not, uh, you know, it's not for the lighthearted, I think, you know, just no. the emotional impact at the end of that movie. I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, let's see, where, where were we? We were talking about, uh, Dean Hurley. Dean Hurley is yeah. making the record with you. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so he was mixing it and, um, did, uh, did Sergeant House stress out about how long things were taking? They, they did, but they were, they kind of knew how important it was to me to work with him. And, you know, and that was, you know, they also had the same perspective of like, well, you know, no, you know, no one knew who JJL was really at that point. And that was, that was the big introduction for most people to what music I was making and you know they're very patient and you know extremely happy and excited about the results and what what we made I mean and and that's and that's one thing with with working with Sergeant House is I continue to be surprised how much they like my music I always think when I make something that they're just like what the hell are you doing? And, you know, it's, it's kind of 
even with this with prison with the new album i'm like when i sent it to them i'm like they're gonna think i'm you know like they're gonna be like this no one's gonna like this why are you making art like this but they're wildly supportive and you know it's 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 such a pleasure to have them on my side yeah that's kind of the perfect label i think for jjl um you know i i can't you know maybe maybe a couple other label names come to mind but that's as far as like a, a prominent label that has a great roster that fits exactly with kind of the aesthetic you're doing, I think that's perfect. Yeah, I mean it's it's great, I and mean, I've just known Kathy since you know almost the first you know the first album they released was Russian Circles, and Young Widows was touring. Yeah, you know, I mean I don't know how many shows we played with Russian Circles. I mean it got to a point where they were like we just can't tour with you anymore even though we want to we're being told we shouldn't you know it's and uh so it's it's nice to like still have this long-standing relationship with kathy and you know and she's incredibly passionate about the label and i mean that's it's everything every bit of her energy and life goes into just helping out all of these artists that she believes in and it's and honestly, it's all completely selfless. Like she just wants, she wants to make us successful because she likes our art. You know, like she doesn't, she doesn't need the label for herself. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's such a, it's such a different dynamic than a lot of other record labels that I've been a part of and talked to the people on the business side. It's like, she just wants truly to like make the artist successful it's not about making her money it's 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 great yeah there's like two sides to that coin these days when it's harder and harder to sell records like it's you know there's some some labels get real cutthroat about spending money and limiting what you can do creatively with like say artwork and layout ideas and things like that yeah and then there's the other side of the coin too, where people are like, well, you know, we want to make this, this artifact for people to have. And the physical tactile experience is a companion to the music instead of just an envelope that this uh, product comes in, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's something that I, I have, you know, I always have these, ideas for packaging and, and yeah and, and making a physical you know like a, it's it should be a trophy it should be something that when you get a record it's it has all these beautiful things in it that make you feel more invested in the in the music in my opinion but on the other side of it it's like i've done that with other record labels and i've you know you get to a point where you're 40 years old and you wonder why you've never made any money. And then you look about how much it's cost to make your records. <laughs> and, and you're like, well, every record I've made the, the cost to just do the layout and press these wild colored vinyl and all this thing. And the size artist I am, it's, it's, it's like a tough give and take. Do you want to, not make any money or do you want to have this beautiful looking record so i mean ultimately what the most important part of a record is is the music right you know i mean that's like if you go through your record collection like i don't know you know i'm very into collecting records and have you know records from every genre and every you know every style of music and when i think about my my favorite records it's not that the the packaging is incredible it's like even some of the cover artwork is awful but then the music is all that matters you know yeah that's uh it's a it's a tightrope you know and um yeah you know because I, 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 depending on what day of the week it is, I have different ideas about all that stuff. So, 
<laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, man. I feel like JGL is like some of your darkest material too. Um, you know, there's like a a very you know dark tone to the music. You know, and where where I felt like Young Widows had this. Um, now, I wouldn't say upbeat, but it was a little bit more um, cathartic, let's say. Yeah. Uh, as in, you know, as as opposed to what you're doing with JJL. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know if uh, that goes with being a musician and getting older and going, you know, I, I had a big, you know, I kind of had a, a divorce I didn't kind of have a divorce. I, I got went through a divorce and kind of coming of age and looking at the world and humanity and existence and it's it's not an easy I mean I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. It's like it's not like a happy, lucky act like everything's great in the world you know that's not my mentality that's it's it's like very realistic and i I don't think the music i make is sad i just think the the mood of it is is real and and it's it's not something like you know i've had people tell me like you know good friends that tell me oh man your record really scared me you know and that's and I was like, what about it? It's scary. And they're like, it just made me feel like I was like being stalked or something, you know? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, like maybe you need to feel like you're being stalked. Like that's the thing that happens. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a certain thing of like, I, I feel a sense of joy in making music that represents the dark side of life yeah i mean i definitely respond to that as well um you know and i one of the one of the things i really enjoy about uh you know music like i i'll i'll lump you guys in with some of my other bands that i like like uh you know black heart procession um that kind of thing yeah where you might two three or four different people might be looking at the same thing right but everyone has like a different perspective on that like some people will see the different overtones of something and someone will see the undertones and someone might not even see all the details and i think that that's kind of like when you create music that has like a darker you know hue to it it's you know you're using your own prism to kind of filter in the light that's coming from the thing that you're looking at and uh and I always appreciate that about about bands like JJL and you know like Black Heart Procession and you know older stuff like Leonard Cohen and and you know, yeah. Jeffrey Lee Pierce I, like that kind of stuff. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's a there's there's always been a thing. I mean, it's you know even you know even getting back to like when I was a kid and my father's playing Doors records and you know the songs like. You know, and I'm not a huge obsessive fan of the doors, but I, you know, like the songs like, you know, the end and some of the, the darker songs that are more improvised and, and have, you know, this haunting element, like those are songs that I, I even latched on to when I was a kid. And, you know, I mean, I've mentioned this before to someone It's like even when I was very young and watching like Disney's Fantasia and it gets the night on bald mountain part. And, you know, I was, that those were the parts that I latched onto. It was like, you know, what there's, there's a thing that I don't think it's necessarily sad or I don't think it's, you know, it's strange how culture looks at someone who, walks through a cemetery casually as it being like, Oh, that's a strange thing to do. You know? And it's like, what, what about, what about like death and, you know, imagery of, of a, of a devil, which is like clearly a fake image that was created 
to like put people in fear you know like what about these images really is scary you've just been like everyone's just like being taught to live in fear of of the darkness of culture and it's 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 all it all seems really silly to me because there's an easy way to change the perspective of of looking at like the beauty in these things and the creative expression and and focusing on the darker side of of art and you know and what's to me it's like what's more beautiful than like accepting accepting death and understanding death and understanding you know concepts of of evil and concepts of of you know the opposite of good it's like if you don't understand the concepts on both sides there's no balance and if you you know it's like to me like images of jesus are just as scary as images of satan you know oh yeah it's you know it's it's a strange world to say what's dark and what's what's not dark you know it's like walk going into like a restaurant or you know going to get coffee and these places playing like music that's happy and that like you know happy in this like way that just sounds like corporate rock like just feeding into some kind of thing that that i think maybe doesn't really exist and like that makes me feel sad and upset and you know like i find like things like that to be darker than listening to like when i walk into you know i don't really go to many places so it's like going to a coffee shop and they listen to leonard cohen i'm like well this actually makes me happy yeah this is this is real music and these other people are just like feeding everyone into this this fake mentality of life and thinking that like everything's just everything's fine you know it's it's such a strange you know western civilization and like the the idea of of what is happy and what is sad is, is such a funny thing to me i mean i, I don't know I, I don't even know the right words to describe it other than like, I don't agree with it. Yeah. A lot of it probably has to do with like kind of, um, you know, monotheistic, uh, Christianity and that kind of stuff probably plays into the ideas of, uh, you know, darkness and light and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and all of those religions were created to, to control people, you know, and, uh, um, yeah. yeah, they subvert things that are darker um, they threaten you with the ideas of eternal damnation if you don't follow the rules. And I think, yeah, you know, that's the kind of thing that bears that mentality where more ancient belief systems had more of a balance between light and dark. Like the underworld wasn't necessarily an evil place. It was just a place that, you know, the dead spirit travels to for a time and then moves on to, you know whatever pick, yeah pick your uh your destination after that <laughs> yeah which is a beautiful thing yeah. you know it's like yeah i mean living in fear is is i think the the saddest saddest way to live and like fear of you know whatever it may be it's like you know there's there's a real peace of mind to accepting how you know, accepting how the world actually works rather than avoiding it. So making these records sounds like a pretty fulfilling creative endeavor. Like I, I listen to the records. I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's, um, you know, very, uh, very intriguing to listen to this stuff. And I've seen you guys play live and the live experience is, uh, is, is also is equal, equally as interesting what which one do you prefer? Do you prefer live or making records? Because I feel like uh, with JJL, both can be very very interesting. You know, very fulfilling. You know, it's. I mean, I have to say this. I mean, it, live it really just depends on the night. You know, it's it's like once you're on tour and you're playing every single night, and you you know there's 
there's nights, you know, that I've I've kind of worked a lot of Im- improvised moments into performing live, you know, to where, you know, the song kind of lives forever and, and certain parts will, you know, never be the same. You know, maybe the rhythm section is doing the same thing, but there's a there's a freeness to it and certain nights when that's on and you know every everyone's just reading you know the telepathic energy like is you know on point and we're all playing together perfectly and you know those nights nothing really compares to those nights it's it's just you're just on fire and and you feel it and after you play you're just like you know, you're fucking walking on clouds and, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if anyone else liked it in the entire crowd because you're just like, whatever we just did, that was it. But that, you know, like, does that happen every night? No, it doesn't happen. And it's, you know, sometimes it's, it's the most difficult when you're just going through the motions and it's just not clicking and you're trying to make it click and it's, it's not happening. I mean, but for me, it's making making albums is is what I really find the most enjoyable. It's it's just like working on new ideas and coming up with concepts that I've never haven't explored. I mean, that's that's the most exciting part is experimenting and and that's what I try to keep going on with the live set and that's what keeps it interesting. But with every record, there's a new concept and a new idea and a new way to approach making music rather than, you know, and yeah, we've known each other for over 20 years and clearly with, with my music, it's like, there's always, you know, since I was 17, 16, it's like, there's always kind of an, a, a new concept with every single record. And, and that's what's exciting is because I, I don't really see, I don't really see that coming to an end. There's just, you know, there's endless ideas and concepts to experiment with and explore within music. It's, you know, it's when I hear of, of a musician kind of like being lost or being frustrated on, on what to do next. It's to me, it's, it's not, you know, what to do. It's just like, can I pull off this next idea or, or is this concept going to work? And, you know, it's, it's exciting. I'm still very, very excited about making new music. And that's, you know, that's why I keep making music. It's not, it's not just to perform live. It's, you know, if it was up to me, I would make, you know, three or four records a year of, and my process of experimenting with new concepts would probably, you know, I, w- I would probably get very out there within a couple of years of, of new ideas. Oh, that's great, man. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, in a nutshell, what the creative process should be about, you know, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, there's always been that within, you know, being in bands, there's always that thing of like watching bands play the same songs for 20 years, you know, they're like successful hits in their songs. And, and that's, that's never been, something that i've wanted to do it's it's like being successful while it's important it's it's not the goal it's like the goal is to just to make new music and to be fulfilled by the art not by the money that's great um that actually seems like a really good spot to end in because um that was like a nice sort of uh summary so uh cool yeah, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna take us out. I'm gonna thank you and all that sort of stuff, and you know, and um, yeah, we'll we'll go. For it. it was great. Awesome, thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Um, so 
in this world of disease that we live in, it's hard to make plans. So, uh, you know, congratulations on the new record. Um, I'm really enjoying it myself. And, uh, you know, stay safe, man. And hopefully I will be able to see you out on the road in the next, uh, you know, hopefully next year or something like that. Yeah. Hopefully next year. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's an exciting day to have the record out. The thunder struck. The tourniquet touched. It startled me. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.